Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mind of Success. Today, we have a very courageous, amazing, adventurous, pioneer woman. <laughs> so we've got uh, Vicky Smith. She is the founder of earthchangers.com. And genuinely, she is a force of good, of good. She is a challenger. She is entrepreneurial. And she is helping to drive basically the future of the planet having impact in something that it's very close to many of our hearts, that it's like travel and tourism. So she's dedicated her career and life to drive sustainable tourism since many years ago. She has a very interesting story. Uh, so Vicky, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm sure it's going to be a very fun conversation. <laughs> so let's start with the basics. Can you tell us a little bit of who you are, what you do, and how you got involved with sustainable tourism? Sure. So, yeah, you said Vicky. I'm the founder of earthchangers.com, which is what I would say a curated collection of positive impact tourism. Now, I've worked in travel and tourism uh, for 25 years, more than that now, and in sustainable tourism, more than 15. And I started because after university, I studied French and international business. I wanted to spend some time in France speaking French. I was also a skier, so I went and worked in the Alps, got told it would ruin my career. Um, I was expected to go into a sort of blue chip marketing role um, or even law or something like that. And I discovered I loved it and I, want, I learned more doing that probably than many of my friends who went into sort of blue chip graduate mm. recruitment jobs. So I stayed working in travel, initially in the French Alps, both summer and winter back in head offices, helping recruitment. And then I got into marketing development. And then ultimately yeah. in the late nineties, uh, came back to London and I worked in web development and marketing. So quite early days for that in within travel and actually also international events. And um, it was sort of the first dot-com bubble. Um, wow. And yeah, so, so experienced startup world in the late nineties, yeah. um, nice. which was pretty full on, yeah. And fun. And yeah. <laughs> Um, and then worked for sort of bigger travel companies because I'm working in, in digital development and marketing. Really, at that point, it was only the big companies that were doing it and they had the jobs. And so I worked for some big names um, in this country, Teletext, people might know. Um, I worked for Virgin. I worked for some of the other big tour operators. But in working for the very big tour operators and working in the mainstream travel industry, although I'd been originally in sort of brought into the travel industry through my love of actually the outdoors, wow. nature, wildlife, wilderness. Um, suddenly you would become involved in this very behemoth of an industry, which is that mass package holiday industry. And suddenly I was witnessing the negative impacts that actually creates, mm. which I never obviously sort of was aware of when I first worked in travel. Yeah. And through, you know, more and more time, I suppose this sort of sat more and more uncomfortably with me. And a particular trip I had um, was to a friend's wedding in Kenya. I got a cheap deal through work. I stayed at an all-inclusive because it was who we worked with for work, whatever. And I was horrified. I was um, first and foremost, this was 2001, 2002, um, on the way from the airport to, to the hotel, I'd never seen such mountains of plastic before in my oh. life. Oh, And, you know, I, it was my first time to Africa and I was excited and I was really looking forward to the wedding. I was going to go on safari. I was going to, you know, I just didn't know quite what to expect. 
and it was just plastic and rubbish and oh. I came to realize you know they just didn't have the social services to to have refuse collections they didn't have the money to fund that the facilities to deal with that and as we got to the hotel the hotel warned people not to go outside the all-inclusive walls and I was like what why would you not do that yeah. you know travel is about culture and meeting yeah, people like, and seeing out. things yeah. and what have you and you know this this sort of all-inclusive product at that point was very much about you're there to eat and drink and tan as much as you can and you stay within the walls and you eat western food and you know and I and I went around the pool yeah that week and I talked to people about why they were there and how they booked and and they were there for those reasons and the vast majority were British clientele maybe you know 10% that weren't and they didn't have anti-malarials even they got a last minute deal they didn't care where they were going they just wanted sun they could have been anywhere on this planet and they certainly weren't kind of getting involved with anything cultural or or even nature and you know they they were frightened because they told they were told not to go to the beach and not to talk to people there and they were frightened that they were gonna I don't know be attacked or something I mean they'd sort of been yeah I mean it's just crazy and I went on safari and I went to the beach and I did all those things, right? And just realised people are putting fear into people um, to prevent some sort of, you know, cross-cultural understanding here. And they're just trying, they were just trying to keep the money in the hotel complex, ultimately. And that horrified me that the whole reason I love travel and the whole reason I work in travel and actually it's about freedom and in this particular all-inclusive, and then I learned, you know, many, many, many all-inclusives, it was all about keeping within. within. And if you went outside that all-inclusive walls, yes, you saw poverty, you saw plastic, you saw all the spoils of tourism that we create as Western tourists that they can't actually deal with. And you saw the inequality that it actually creates and the inequality that is worsened by having wealthy tourists and, and I suppose at that point in time, it started to enter my head that there was a difference between the travel that I did that I was attracted to and the tourism industry as a, mm-hmm. as a sector. Mm-hmm. And that what we had created in the sector in this sort of vast conveyor belt of mass package holidays was doing the world no good. And it, and it really should be doing the, diff- the absolute opposite. And that... I suppose well that always stayed with me then that I didn't want to work in that industry of conveyor belt holidays that created negative impacts and didn't promote the positives and I wanted to side with what was positive so it was around that time that responsible tourism actually got named so and it was uh, through something called the Cape Town Declaration which happened in 2002 in South Africa and they were the first country government to sort of institute responsible tourism within their government policy for exactly these reasons. And yeah. it was just like, you know, tourism can help right some of the inequalities in the world. What it should never do is actually exacerbate it. And that's exactly. what historically the industry's done in, in a lot of places. It, it's exploited. It has taken resources, money, drained cultures, um, overbuilt overwhelmed people with sheer numbers of tourism and you know that's you know very much sort of related to to capitalist society it's it's become about price and commodification and it's not about how that how tourism supports local people absolutely and you know the definition of responsible tourism is actually creating better places for people to live in and visit Hmm. and better places to live in comes first because if it's a great place to live in people want people to visit want to come, of course. but the priority isn't to keep the tourists happy first which is what sort of some of these maybe you know demand driven all-inclusive packages creates it's like what what do we have to do to keep travel travelers happy give us western food and give us you know and it's like no it's not yeah. about that it's about retaining the original culture it's about meeting local people it's about supporting them it's about saying how can we use tourism to actually create that scenario and you so yes that's that. just, yeah so that sat yeah. with me and then historically sort of retrospectively I looked back and thought 
when I'd been, I'd been a resort manager um, for a tour operator in the French Alps with ski, and that can get quite crazy. I mean, that you can have lovely small resorts and then you can have very big, lively, um, crazy groups and things like that. And, you know, I used to do bar crawls with my guests and things like that. And I looked back and I thought, I mean, I always personally preferred the resorts when the tourists weren't there. You know, end of season, they've all gone home. Lovely mountain communities that you actually get to chat with. You never got to do that in the peak of the season. And, um, you know, you chat with the suppliers and you just sit around and, you know, have a coffee and a drink or whatever. And, and I suddenly, I suppose I felt this enormous guilt of um, I had helped facilitate so much of that negative impact without really thinking about it. And, you know, I'd done that both in ski and, it, and also in ski, you know, I'd seen, I'd seen permafrost melting um, in the mid to late 90s. And I didn't realise at the time what it was. Why would you? But I was so familiar with the resort and with the slopes. And, you know, I skied most days in some of my years out there. And when you're so familiar with the slopes, suddenly there's something that's a bit different. You think, what's that? You know, and I'd seen sort of this black mass spewing out of the slope one day. And I'm thinking, it's only literally years and years later, I understood that was permafrost melting. So you start to understand the environmental impact and the social impact on places. And the fact that, you know, tourism can help it's probably, you know, it's our biggest sort of army of people going out with money that can help support destinations. Yeah. And it's been creating the opposite effect of what it really ought to be able to do. And so I, uh, through that guilt, I suppose, through that penny drop moment, which really kind of came to fruition in Kenya, I just thought I need to, I need to work in the positive side of this. And I don't even know at that point, I didn't know what it was called. And then it came about through time. And so I got to a point with Korea, also back in London, that I worked for a number of other big companies and the whole corporate approach of not considering you as a person and your needs, but are very much, you know, you're a number. In the travel industry, inevitably, it concertinas financially up and down quite a lot. There's a lot of redundancies. Yeah. I, went, I, I went through a number of processes. It wasn't always made redundant, but I went through... And I think I just got pretty tired of that kind of corporate focus the way it is and mm -hmm. all the focus on profit, none of the consideration for the actual impact you're creating in the world. And so in 2006, um, I said to a friend, you know, I just want to go back to Africa. And she said, well, why don't you then? And I thought, well, yeah. that's, <laughs> a, like, that's oh, a very good question. Very why good don't I? So I did. Yeah. So Amazing. I... I um, I packed up and, and went and I, I volunteered on a game reserve um, in, in um, lion monitoring. So very much like sort of big cat diary. And then I volunteered in community development in, in South Africa and uh, traveled around Namibia, Botswana, South Africa, Namibia in particular. And I wanted to sort of really try and understand how tourism was currently fitting in, how it could and how it should, and really get a good idea of can, can the travel industry actually help Change. places here? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had one, lots and lots of work, you know, life changing moments in that trip and, and then subsequent trips and, you know, small things that when I was in Botswana and, and small things that just give you immense um, life perspective, which I think is something travel does. Right. Yes. Um, it does. In it a way that it, yeah. it opens our minds so much. You know, I was in Botswana when I was 32 traveling through Botswana and it suddenly struck me that the I was reading my Lonely Planet or whatever it was. And um, the average life expectancy in Botswana at that point in time was 32. And it was the age I was. And that was wow. because of HIV. And, you know, I wow. should have been there, HIV positive, in theory, if I'd been there. Um, multiple children by then, marriage, certainly, possibly multiple even. Um, probably had had HIV for a number of years and, and probably didn't have access to the antiretrovirals and things like that. And it's just struck me so hard at that point in time that I'd only felt like I'd just started living and I had so much to learn and give that people that I was meeting didn't have much more left to their lives, local people. And that yet here I was as a wealthy tourist spending money and they can't get access to the services and the help they need. Where's all this money going? You know, mm. it really shouldn't be that way. So, so I spent yeah significant time in community, around communities and significant time in nature, and nature helps us very much. Um, you know, 
connect with our purpose and connect with the perspective of the world and um, just, you know, yeah, be mindful and, and meditative around what's our place in the world. And there's nothing like a game reserve, right? And I, I, when I did my line monitoring, we were um, around eight people. So two rangers and six volunteers um, in an area about the size of Wales or something crazy. I was huge. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just, and that was just us, you know, and there's nothing like that perspective. And, and in, you know, we, we, we lived in a very small kind of sort of old farmhouse type place on this reserve. And, you know, we had like an outside patio and you'd go back at night, go back to your room and we were a bit silly and forget our torches at times, but all our doors were open. You, you never, if you didn't have your light, you didn't actually know if you're about to walk in on a lion in your room, you know, because oh, we'd leave wow. all the doors open. Oh, wow. So there's moments where you're sort of like, <laughs> yeah. And we'd be woken up by elephants outside because when they go, it, I mean, it's like, you know, the, the Jurassic Park film where everything shakes. I mean, there's an elephant outside your bedroom, suddenly everything's going. Oh, wow. So, you know, yeah, amazing times. And then, I mean, later I then, you know, I loved that experience of living on a reserve. So I actually later went back and trained as a ranger in Africa as well. So I've spent so much time, you know, not enough in my view, but much compared yeah. to yeah. many other people. Yeah. Um, just really being being at one with nature and also uh, having moments that have that raise your heartbeat a little bit. Um, I mean, I've been I, I drove a, a Jeep down a sort of bit of a cul-de-sac once and got a bit stuck by a bush and I've got a Jeep full of, um, of fellow rangers. It was when I was doing my training and uh, and we had a lion pride following us and oh um we couldn't reverse there was nowhere to go and we literally had to sit and watch and wait for this lion pride to walk either side of the jeep and we're all oh open. and literally this male line i mean i felt the hairs on my arm go and we had to move not move an inch and um it's like mm, yeah that could have gone anyway you know there's moments like that of where course. you just think nature's amazing uh, but nature is also Show, it's a, a teacher force. it's a powerful support it's an incredible yes. teacher and, yeah and I, I absolutely love the story like the detail and, and like how much you've lived and also of course you started your business then the business started growing yeah and well you anyone like who's listening now it's like if you go to vicky's website you'll see the amount of awards that you got <laughs> The amount of recognition that you've got the top magazines the top british tv channels like you told me the other day you've even been invited invited to the queen's gardens party like yeah. you yeah. have yeah it's amazing like you've done yeah an and you know job. well i think what i've done is a i've followed my heart and my intuition yeah i haven't you know historically recruitment agents would have a real challenge with me because ultimately I wanted to work in web development marketing which is what I'd done and travel that had positive impact and that just did not exist in the job market so so ultimately over time I had to create my own basically yeah and I didn't necessarily think that at the time it was more a case of I'd come back to this country and I'd do some work in web development marketing I'd make enough money to be able to go away again and spend time of in course. Africa or wherever it was and I also I mean I did do other jobs um so, for example, I worked for a charity challenge and volunteer tourism organization, which meant that I could guide their trips as well as being back in the office sometime and had the most amazing experiences doing that. Um, because although, you know, you're not particularly paid for it, it's more like you get to do it as a holiday yourself and you're responsible yeah. for a group. Um, but, you know, I climbed up Kili and hiked across the Sahara and kayaked down the Zambezi and, um, you know, hiked to Machu Picchu, typical charity challenge trips. But what you also get with that is an incredible, um, particularly on charity challenges, most people that do charity challenges are doing it for a fundraising reason. And often they're fundraising because they've had some sort of loss in their life, probably grief, yes. they might have lost a yeah. partner or something like that. And so for me, it was always an incredible privilege to spend time with people who had probably put the last year of their lives into fundraising for this particular trip. Um, they're doing it both as a physical and an emotional challenge for themselves and to sort of take their lives forward up until then, it's been focus everything on this particular trip because that helps that fundraising for whatever issue it is helps distract them from, from the whatever major issue. impact they've probably just had in their lives. Yeah. And they get to a point on those trips more often than not that they suddenly melt down 
And that's because they've suddenly realized there's almost a dawning realization of, oh, what now? It's the end of a phase. It's a sort of acceptance that that's now passed and now I need to move on. And as a, as a, as a tour manager on those trips where you actually become the kind of shoulder that many people like lean on and you have to, you know, it's very, uh, um, I'd say undervalued job. Most people don't think about that in tourism, but you, you become quite the kind of psychotherapist at times for some people. Yeah, um, but it's the most, for me, it's the most privileged position to be in to, to witness people being able to move forwards with their lives at that point in time. And um, my, my, so my drive has always been the world. I love the world, you know, and I don't want to see it damaged. And I want to love the yeah. people of the world and I love the nature of the world. And I, I want going to see to that. that. Yeah. Can you expand? I, I get a feel that like your business is very value driven. There's yes. a lot of force behind, there's a lot of force behind you, like a lot of energy. Like, can you expand it? Like, I think, like I was saying, I've always, yeah, I've just followed my heart. So I, what I love is the, is the world, it's people, it's places, it's, it's nature. I don't want to see that damaged. I want to see that people can continue doing that. I don't want to see it, you know, Ultimately, I think the industry itself, travel industry itself, is almost the most suicidal industry because it is absolutely ruining the world in, on which it depends for its income. Um, and my personal values are around the freedom to explore, whether that is physically, geographically, or also mentally, um, you know, sort of lifelong learning about other cultures. I'm always fascinated about other people. And connection with those people so i'll say connection with people places nature spirituality yourself because travel gives you that opportunity to really connect with yourself and to think yeah. about these things it does so and, and integrity and, and and for me it's about doing it right and mm. i think that's what i've always done in my life is i've always been willing to choose what i feel is the right thing both for me and for the world and not just what recruitment agents want you to do because it suits their pockets and not necessarily what your school or university want you to do because they think that's the career path you should take um i'd love to say my parents but they did <laughs> they probably didn't dare <laughs> but well they weren't necessarily the best of role models so yeah. but they also gave me that also gave me that freedom to go i need to find my own place in the world and I've always been, because of actually an upbringing and a quite challenging upbringing, um, I've always been very independently minded and mm. quite objective about things. I'm very emotional, but I'm also very objective at different yeah. points. In time. I, I, it's like, I can relate to that. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, and and it's sort of, you've got the ability to sort of take yourself out of the emotion at times to think, hmm. but I also ultimately just follow my instinct and my heart. Yes. And I think that's, I've done and for that reason I've done things for the right reason rather than a financial reason or you know the times where I have I did take a job because it was working for an amazing brand it was awful <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out the brand values were just you know Not created right. by the marketing department and they didn't yeah. live those at all and that's where you learn what brand values really mean and I think oh, it's so important if we if we come back to sort of personal power I don't think I didn't I didn't used to have it or, or maybe at times people recognized it in me and I didn't recognize it in myself because I didn't mm. feel that myself and I've certainly had a career in corporate life where people try to squash that down and people yeah. try to control that and manage that and I'm not a yes person funnily enough so so I'm maybe you know people found me a bit challenging at times but ultimately I wasn't supportive to go you know what you've you've got this incredible potential let's I never had or not that's not fair I had very few good managers that supported that and lifted that up and I think I found my own power by setting up my own business because it could be whatever I want it to be and that's a challenge financially and it's a challenge time-wise and resource-wise and all those things but ultimately I'm happier doing what I feel is the right thing than doing what I feel is the wrong thing for someone else and yes being financially more secure by doing that but I've never been driven by money I'm very much driven by writing the world and injustice and, and things like that. So um, I think the power then also comes in that authenticity. 
Um, and I hope that's what people connect with through the website is this is an I'm doing nice sustainable tourism that's kind of minimizing negatives and um you know is sort of you know greenwashing to an extent which is when I launched I felt that most of the platforms out there in order to be more financially viable were a bit fluffy to be honest and I thought you don't need to be fluffy there's this amazing opportunity that we have in travel to actually really help people and places of the world and have an amazing experience at the same time and that could be just having a lovely relaxing holiday and the money goes into various initiatives or that could be a bit more hands-on and so the opportunity is there and no one's doing it and I realized I suppose my big moment was I realized that I was in a possession to do that in the way that no one else was possibly even in the world amazing because I had had that training back in resorts I had yeah. you know in terms of customer facing the tourism I'd done web development marketing for years and years and years and years by then. I knew I I was a trained ranger in conservation, you know, and all the, all the experiences historically, which I had always done because I felt it was the right thing to do, but without really knowing why (laughs) at times, the things that recruitment agents drove, drove them potty because I would have a nice sort of stable job and they would say, right, next you take your step up and I'd go off at a complete tangent and go back to some developing country and do something. Right. Yeah. So suddenly all the experiences suddenly made sense for where I was going. But it wasn't until I knew, until I started my own business that it actually all came together probably. Um, and, and now it, you know, it's, I started, I'd launched in 2017, which happened to be the year of sustainable tourism for development by the UN. I didn't know that at the time when I started and I didn't know when I was going to launch and it was just quite serendipitous. So they then authorised me as a solution for sustainable development. When you say they, you mean? The UN. Well, the UN has a, also has a, um, a, a part called the UN World Tourism Organisation. Yeah. So, and they're a big organisation, a big global thing. But ultimately, they try and yeah, steer, steer the tourism industry to a, to a more uh, responsible and sustainable um, sector. Yeah. So, so that involvement there. And then through that, yeah, I mean, the thing is with, with awards and things like that is once you get noticed, more people notice you. And so um, I'm also very active on social media because I'm about connection. So, you know. Of course. And social it. media, it's yeah. like, yeah. I didn't <laughs> used to, but now that I'm active in social media, yeah. it's genuinely about connections. Yeah, but it's absolutely. About, like, you, you have like so many, you find like people that you're like, you connect in very specific yeah, exactly and um you know journalists and other people these days they don't just go to google and search they go to social media and search things so yeah. i was asked to be a, an ambassador for the un uh, for the uk um um government for defra department of the environment food and rural affairs and they had something called the year of green action in 2019 so they asked me to be an ambassador and they found me through social media. Um, oh, wow. And, and, and they obviously they, there must be some sort of due diligence that they do on these things that they then look up your background and go, okay, well, she's, yeah, she's trained ranger and she's done a master's in responsible tourism management. And she's done this, that and the she other. So you become acceptable, I suppose, at that point. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have too much of a dodgy past, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was funny because, I, I mean, I got that email and I literally looked around. I was, you know, where I'm working here. And I looked around thinking, is someone filming in me? Are they having a joke? Is this, is this just <laughs> And I didn't believe it. And they and I wrote back to them and said, well, yeah, that sounds interesting. How many people are you having? They just said, would you be one of our ambassadors? How many people are you having? And I'm thinking, well, they're probably asking like several thousand. And this is the female, typical, you know, um, what do we call it? Imposter syndrome. I think, yeah, well, they're asking me. Yes. They must be asking millions of people, right? Of course. Yeah. And they wrote back and they said, oh, well, I think we're having eight or ten in total. I'm like... yeah that's that's a cool thing and anyway it's a real shame to be honest with that it it got somewhat derailed by brexit um because a third of all the staff of that department department of environment and rural affairs they got moved to brexit issues because of farming and agriculture and things and then yeah the world went into covid and then it got shelved further so but you know it's always i did some interesting things with them so now thank you so now that we're talking about the world changing and COVID and all that stuff. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a sensitive topic, but I think it's important that we discuss it. So now that we have like all the violence going on in Ukraine and mm. the world, basically, 
and we are seeing so many people kind of like leaving their countries um i guess like the question would be what's your thoughts about how tourism yeah. can help in this situation that it's like it's a very heavy heavy feeling for everyone it is but to be honest i mean what i work in is also quite heavy um but most people most people just see the tourism side of things and i'm interested in the sustainable development side of things and how we yeah. actually so so i spent a lot of my time particularly when i was um in charity challenges you know i spent time in um cancer hospices and all sorts of you know developing countries in poverty in 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 very much witnessing water issues food issues i'm a charity for um i'm sorry i'm a trustee for a charity in madagascar uh, we've had on running famine for years there um and that's ultimately i suppose my my raison d'etre is i exist for that reason and i happen tourism happens to be the vehicle through which i believe we can deliver positive benefits for the world and you know that is different whether it's climate or whether it's whatever but um we can make significant impacts with i mean the big ones recently climate covid now azar in in russia um war is obviously a little bit different um ongoing situations like covid we've seen really you know the world has the the global goals the un sustainable development goals that we're all signed up to to 2030 um and i as far as i know haven't been corrected yet i was the first person to write about the intersection of the sdgs and tourism um wow. on a, you know and how commercial tourism can actually support them and so you know my if you go to my website um the purpose section is all about the sdgs and how tourism can actually play into supporting all of those issues which it really can because particularly with sort of um, remote communities that haven't maybe got energy, alternative energy sources or, or water or health issues or education. Tourism is actually the thing that, that brings the money and, and requires the infrastructure. Mm. So if that can be created with local people in mind, and because you can create that with them having access to those issues, that's where tourism is, is a better sector than any other um for actual sustainable development because let's say something like extractive mining you know it only influences a very economically a very small area where that yeah. mine is and where those people are employed tourism is a sector which touches pretty much every industry um, corner of the world right yeah. everywhere you go apart yeah. from war zones and that's the interesting thing i think now with ukraine is um you know we we might not be able to have tourism in ukraine clearly but actually there's a lot of people coming out who need support obviously yeah. through other means and all of the countries around ukraine um i'm actually involved with supporting and developing as kind of the secretary of the, the european ecotourism network and we have members in in belarus in poland in germany in romania for example And they're all working like crazy at the moment. We're recording this in the middle of the, the conflict. Um, they're all working like crazy because they're involved in ecotourism. Yes, it's tourism, but they're also involved in sustainable development and they're all involved in the not-for-profit world. And they're mm. all hands to the deck with donations, with getting things to borders, away from borders, trying to get people into accommodations, for example, and tourism infrastructure. Yes at that point can be absolutely reused whether it's the transport logistics or accommodation to support refugees for example yeah. so tourism is really important people think, think about it as being as a frivolous thing but in actual fact the infrastructure of tourism actually can support the world hugely when when it needs to and, and should do the rest of the time obviously so um you know something i'd really like to do in the future with the products that i have on you know on my site we have both tour operators and accommodations who are created from core for the purpose of supporting sustainable development so that might be for refugees you know for example um what i found really fascinating is how the world has responded to ukraine with for example renting airbnbs but yeah. say, saying we're not coming so the money they know is getting to local people that's a tourism infrastructure yes. thing they're using to be able to try and support now Personally, I, I have questions over the, the integrity of that because 
what you're not getting at that point is you're not getting a needs-based approach yeah. the money you don't know where it's going you don't know who it's going to you don't know how much they've the got owner. versus the neighbors yes, hopefully it's all getting exactly. shared but yeah. you know maybe it's not the time to ask those questions but yeah, I do I because I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm educated at a master's level to to critically ask questions about tourism um and, and we should ask testaments questions about tourism because if we don't lots of people have good intentions and you know lots of people think good intentions result in good impacts and that's not necessarily true and that's where we're taught in you know for example master's level responsible tourism to constructively critique and question and take a critical approach to tourism because let's take an example orphanage volunteering very well known um ultimately um the knowledge that western tourists want to help orphans created a situation that people in destinations created orphanages for the purpose of exploiting money from western yes. tourists yes and in order to then get kids in those so-called orphanages they would go to families who were maybe impoverished and weren't able to look after their children well or promise them that the kids are going to be better fed watered you know educated etc and so the kids get put in these intentionally dilapidated buildings um, in order to procure finances from western tourists they've been abandoned by their family and then they experience a hamster wheel of visitors coming or volunteers coming um, to supposedly help them but they're kept intentionally in that situation in order to get money and the kids never see that money and they probably never end up going back to the family the families have handed them over with good intentions too and in actual fact it's been proven um, in Nepal in particular in Ghana that the rise in orphanages in those countries actually follows the rise in tourism and not the rise in orphans uh, which is just terrific so so tourism in those in, in, that, in that instance has created child trafficking ultimately it's created demand oh, wow. for child trafficking that's and I mean I wrote my master's all around a lot of that I wrote my master's around greenwashing and marketing of, of volunteer tourism and that covered things like orphanage tourism but also walking with lions yeah. so walking with lions or petting lions ultimately those lions um, are therefore grown up to be habituated humans and then then put in canned hunting facilities and they're more easily shot because they're used to humans being around basically and those humans feel great because they've been able to hunt these lions and so, so much of tourism like that, which people think they're doing, you know, you know, volunteers or visitors to an orphanage and they're doing it from the best of intentions and that they're supporting those kids. No, that's not happening. And um, so much is, is just a horrific sort of exploitative nature of, of our world and of tourism. And, you know, that's, that's all the stuff I, I want to change the world i want to change the industry i want to yes. change to change it all and, and um, I'm doing it so well i'm trying and i think i think i think coming back to the passion question you asked me earlier um you have to have the most immense amount of passion and commitment and willingness to sacrifice i haven't had an ordinary life <laughs> whatever ordinary is um i've had an amazing life i've had extraordinary experiences but that doesn't come with a stable salary or necessarily a stable home or even a stable relationship or, or a stable family so you have to be willing to not do those things um for me I was always driven by I wouldn't say ambition of career I, I was driven by making the world a better place I think you know yeah um and to achieve what I'm trying to achieve which I'm still at you know I've had two years um of COVID with with very little income no government support in terms of sector tourism support um, I just believe in what I'm doing and that it's needed more and more as a result of health issue in the world, in the result of conflict in the world. Um, and hopefully in time that will come, come good, you know? Yeah. Do you have any regrets of not having, let's no, not say, really. financial um, support? No, and I think, I think I've always felt that if you follow your heart, you won't ever regret it because you've always chosen the right thing for you. And I've always been comfortable with my choices. I think when you regret is when you, you don't do something you wanted to do and you do something because someone else wanted you to do something. Yeah. So I've, I've always very much stuck to, to, to follow my, my purpose, my intuition. 
not that I necessarily um, sort of knew that at the time. I just, I kind of just felt, I followed an instinct, I suppose. And I think a lot of people thought I was nuts and I just did it anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and to hell with, you know, we've got one life and it's short. I've had, I had a number of, you know, friends, um, one of whom was terminally ill when I died when I was long, younger. I had another friend that was on life support at the same time. You know, two out of five close friends were, were very ill. That brings immense perspective to life about living your life for what, what you want to do and what you want to achieve and how you want to enjoy it, and not, not living it for other people. Um, and, and there is a little bit of, of that that's, is it selfish? Is it, is it, it's more, I'm not a selfish person. I'm about, um, you know, giving to the world. Yeah. And I and I have to give a lot of myself to do that. Um, but yeah. I have to I, I'm, I, I definitely have a compulsion to follow a certain path. Almost come what may, you know, and I recognize that in myself. And that's um, people sometimes feel threatened by that ambition. Um, mm. But I feel um, I'm not a competitive person. They think I am and I'm not. I'm here to achieve something that I that I want they're not trying to achieve the same thing as me and you know to do this thing. yeah I very much feel I mean I, I felt that I think I felt that was when I went to you know I went to Kenya we talked about that and that's when my my brain started ticking over and it started percolating about where's tourism's place in the world and then when I went back to South Africa in 2006 and spent time on a reserve and spent time in volunteering and community development that's when I realized that's when my real that's when I thought this is this is my vocation this is what I'm meant to do yeah so I mean it took me it's not like I knew it to begin with I mean I was um you know in my in my early 30s at that point so I found my purpose then and now it just gets stronger and stronger actually and that's partly because the world is getting a worse and worse place to be in many ways um but it should be getting better you know and I'm, and I'm just driven by that. And um, it's challenging because I don't have enough time and enough resources and I don't have much at home or what have you, but um, it doesn't really matter to me, to be honest. That's amazing. That's a very, you know, like at the beginning of the episode, I said that you were very courageous and challenging mm. and entrepreneurial. It's like, it is like a different type of woman that you don't find a Vicky Smith every day no probably not <laughs> but I don't know what to say to that um but it has you know it has it has come out of adversity because if I'd had a comfortable background and upbringing I might have stayed in comfort and I didn't yeah. so I chose to go off and discover the world and um those those sort of creature comforts never mattered too much to me because actually what matters is is how we treat each other and relationships and love and respect and dignity and you know and 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 those things can actually be brought to people through tourism you know giving getting people people having jobs people in developing countries having jobs earning a living that they could supporting a family that that can bring them dignity that they've never had and tourism can do that yes and and i've seen and because i've seen that uh it just reinforces you know how how i feel about that and i know a lot of people will think you know, travel and tourism is just this frivolous activity. But I mean, it's 10% of world GDP. It's 10% of world jobs. That's a lot. That, it's enormous. If that could be used as a powerful good. And that's why it was such a challenge in COVID. You know, we, as a, as a global travel industry, it was hit 80, 90%. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of people not in jobs at that point yeah. in time and not able to feed their families. And it was really very desperate in lots of communities. And it also meant that people weren't employed in anti-poaching for example conservation and and we have to obviously weigh up the the issues of climate and aviation in particular and um you know aviation fuel is about two and a half percent of global emissions to three and a half burnt at altitude it represents about five percent but if that five percent supports developing countries in particular the the 50 least developed countries in the world because take away tourism and they're not going to have the livelihoods. They're not going to have the dignity, which is important. They're not going to have um, infrastructure that otherwise might not exist. It also means that money doesn't go into conservation and we might lose our endangered species. So it, it, it's much more a complicated question. It's, it's not a black and white easy answer of we just shouldn't fly because flying actually contributes um, and supports so much in the world. 
that we have to be very careful about not doing tourism frivolously actually and yes that doesn't mean say you can't have an amazing holiday of course you can you have the incredible experiences in amazing places with amazing people but let's not fly to the south of spain every other weekend for a long weekend you know we don't need to do that we don't need to fly for business what what should we as listeners what should we be doing is is very you know like like anything in sustainability these days we 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 have to make our decisions more carefully around whether it's organic and ingredients plastic use um you know our beauty products our kitchen products all these things and we have to look at tourism the same up until now i feel that particularly around sustainability people have not wanted to think about it with relate in relation to to travel because travel and tourism is when they're going holiday they don't want to think about those serious things they don't want to take responsibility they want time out and and we need to start looking at it as it's another consumer choice and we have to be careful about that choice to make sure that we a don't make negative impacts and b make a positive impact preferably so it's it's about being educated and um, yeah. lots of information on my website all about okay i was going to say <laughs> what does it mean to make careful <laughs> you know careful decisions and being educated it's like yeah i mean we're, we're you know yeah you're thinking about carbon um you know I'm, i belong to something called the glasgow declaration which is you're signing up for for basically carbon plans and reduction of that um, but it's not just that. I mean, all, so that that's how I determine who I work with in terms of the partners on the website. It's tourism's a complex mix. It's not one product. It's a complex mix of services. It's it's design. It's construction. It's build. It's energy. It's water. It's waste. It's staff and their benefits. It's food procurement. It's all the supplies of linens and interiors. It's home industry excursions, fuels you know guides um it's so many many things and all of those different things have sustainable supply chains so how i determine when someone is i want to work with someone on my site is is looking at all of those things and and taking it you know there's not a black and white thing here because sometimes some initiatives are more conservation oriented sometimes they're more social impact oriented and it's about taking everything holistically and going is this a net positive impact basically so that's how I work and we've got to start looking at tourism not just about minimizing negatives not about even just sustainability like it's 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 fine as it is as long as we can carry on with the status quo we need to be choosing positive impact tourism basically yeah which is what I do amazing (laughs) amazing and you look so happy doing that (laughs) oh I love doing it I mean yes you wouldn't right definitely definitely it's not easy but it's um and I think that's what that's another thing I was going to say you know it isn't easy we were talking about conflict zones and the, the precursor to sustainability is peace we can't have sustainability without peace we can't have travel and tourism without peace and you don't get um you know environmental sustainability environments get damaged through through war obviously people get damaged obviously through war um so so you know the conflict currently just sits so very uncomfortably with all of us and we all know that it's no good for anybody you know yeah. um but more often than not it's not the people you know that's the important thing to recognize it's not the people of that country that want that situation more than that and right. and it will become more and more important that that we have that peace in between cultures and in between people basically um and yeah so much of what i do is actually about we have to address the truth because if we don't talk about the truth and where we actually are in order to get where we want to be we don't know how to do that so whether it's carbon or whether it's politics and tourism is very political because it's geopolitical we have local governments, national governments, all these, you know, there's lots of politics involved in tourism. Um, all of these things, we have to be able to say with energy, water, waste, where are we and where do we want to get to? And to, to say where we are, we've got to be very honest and truthful. And that's not what's happened historically in tourism. It's been pretty pictures in nice brochures. And I don't do that. And that maybe isn't the great sales point. But the, the point is the advantages and the benefits are for a better world and not yeah. about a pretty palm tree. Definitely. So as we kind of start closing the episode, 
given the context of our conversation, that covered a lot. What could be your final remarks for anyone listening? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> um, like, that's my favorite question. <laughs> because yeah. Like, like, yeah, makes you think. I suppose, I mean, I'm, I'm personally probably driven by justice in the world, really. And the world, the world being a better place and the world would be a better place when we have equality and justice. And um, I'm acutely aware of the inequalities and of the injustices. And if we can create, if we can right those wrongs through having an amazing time and a great experience, hello yeah you know exactly yeah it's like a, let's do it why why are more people doing this hmm. come talk to me <laughs> yes i love that there are more people doing this hmm. awesome vicky it's been an amazing conversation you have such a wonderful story like i think myself and everyone listening like we could keep talking and talking and talking oh for sure <laughs> <laughs> happy to yeah, do that anytime we know that <laughs> it's been yeah but you know mindsets are the most incredible interesting thing right yeah 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 it's like yeah because like we exactly we can just like keep talking about it and and you know i i'm lucky that i found my i found my vocation not yes. everyone does or has yet yes. okay so let me ask you just one more okay so i think you have found your vocation i've i've found my vocation as well What would you say to people who haven't and they are looking for it? Follow your heart. Yeah. Learn, learn, to, learn to switch off the outside world and tap into your intuition and ask yourself, literally ask yourself, what would I love right now? And do it. And just right do now? it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. And, and that little whisper will take you there and that will take you there and that will take you there and yeah and I think and you'll you come across it I mean it I said I didn't yes. you know I was in my early 30s before I worked in in travel and tourism for 10 years before I realized it was actually my vocation up until that it was like a job right or yeah or a exactly. job. it was my passion I loved yes, it exactly but yeah. it wasn't the vocational aspect that it is now yeah so so it, it was it was being willing to sort of listen to that whisper of what's the next thing I want to do yeah and I think and letting life Letting life take you there, almost. Ooh, I like that. Mm. And yeah, I, I like so. the word that you use, like the whisper, because mm. it's usually it's like a whisper, e.g. the voice yeah. of the head that tells it's you. It's a voice in the head. It comes back and it comes and back And you can again. so you can so easily shut it down and shut it off. Yes, it's like, oh, I'm and, crazy. And you have to be quiet sometimes to be able to hear it. And I think yeah. that's really, I mean, for me, that's really important is taking myself out of, other nice. situations having some time in nature probably yeah. to just try to listen to the whispers yes i love that listen to the whispers so everyone listen to the whispers thank you it's been amazing conversation it's been a pleasure having you in the show thank you for inviting thank me thank you thank you Hidoki, everyone see you next week thank you Bye. ciao, ciao.